Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 748th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from Urban Farm U, and I am here with Enoch Graham. Hello, Enoch. Hey, Greg. Good to see you. How you doing? Fantastic. I was on your show. You do a Saturday live youtube show on gardening yeah yeah the let's get growing live cast that we do every saturday morning at 11 a.m on the pacific coast time and we have some real fun talking to all sorts of awesome gardeners like yourself it was a real honor to have you on our program we were just getting launched this year so thanks again for doing that yeah you bet it was a lot of fun and it was a great conversation i loved it and uh, where do people find information about your show you can check out the, our website just real simple is let's get growing.live so you go to let's get growing.live that should lead you to some links get you to either our youtube channel in general or set you all up with what we got going on our live camera We're just getting started in our summer season so we still got lots of great gardeners to talk to and as well there's a lot of past shows and some past featured guests that we've had that have been really great that i think people might be interested in checking out some of those conversations nice let's get yeah. growing live Yeah, yeah. In general, the show is just a nice talk show, just a chance for different gardeners from all walks of life who are sharing their gardens out there in the garden community to get together and just have a good general get to know each other and talk about gardening and our joy and passion for growing things. So it's been a really really great addition to our channel so far. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for doing that. So Enoch, is a small space gardener who's been growing some of his own food for over 12 years in his limited urban space garden in Southern Oregon. Growing so many different varieties of fruits and vegetables in his limited garden space has taken his gardening skills to a new level every year. He's been sharing his gardening adventures with his viewers on his YouTube channel, The Urban Gardener, for the last seven years. That's impressive. 
when his passion for growing his own food and gardening grew over the years, he never imagined where it would take him. He is constantly surprised by what he gets back by sharing his growing adventure. Welcome, Enoch. Excellent. Thanks again, Greg. You bet. And tonight, tonight we're talking about small space gardening. If you only have a small Mm -hmm. space to grow food, we're going to chat about how to make the most of the space. Yes. So let's actually start with what does your garden look like? Right now, I actually garden out of a kind of a, it's a duplex. So I rent my space. So I only got so much of this back patio space and then some right along the edges of the property, some in-ground space. And then we also stretched out our gardening space a little bit more because I live alongside an alleyway. So me and a neighbor also utilize some alleyway spaces as well too in order grow as much as we possibly can. It's a limited space. It's a little bit more than what I originally started with. Over 12 years ago, I started with just a small little cucumber plant that a friend gave me. And I was living in an apartment and all I had was a balcony space. And at first we were actually just storing things out on the balcony. We never really used it for anything until I got this cucumber start. And naturally I grew plants, house plants. I've really enjoyed that most of my life, but I never grew any food for myself. And I knew in general, this plant needed to be outside. And the only outside I had was this balcony. We cleared it up, up potted it into a pot. It took over the balcony and then we ate. Nice. Yeah. And then we got to eat cucumbers. It was the first thing I ever grew for myself that I could consume. Wow. Yeah. And My daughter loved the cucumbers. We both had this little light bulb, like, wow, not only can you grow the house plants and all of that, but you can go outdoors, even in just this little balcony and grow something you can eat. And then from there, we started trying to grow some tomatoes and lettuces and some different things that we could fit onto the balcony. And we started off with that little space. And then I got to grow just a little bit more by a few feet with my back patio space that we have. But we really maximize it out. We use a few different methods in order to get the most out of the space that we have. It's all about really visualizing you know, and seeing the potential even a small space could have. Yeah. Even if you got just like a walkway or an alleyway, some sort of space you can either, if it's in ground or you could possibly utilize the containers and grow all sorts of different things for yourself. Nice. A friend of mine about 20 years ago, Margaret, and I've written about her, an article and a podcast called Margaret the Condo Gardener. Yeah. She was in this condo complex that had lots of shade. There wasn't a whole lot of space for her to grow. So she walked the neighborhood looking for somebody's backyard. Yeah. (laughs) And she she found Meg. And Meg had an overgrown garden bed in her backyard. And she went and knocked on her front door and said, my name's Margaret. Can I use your garden bed? So she grew in that garden bed. And oh, that's awesome. And then shared it with Meg. Yeah, isn't that a great story? So, yeah, it's just about getting creative, right? Yes, definitely. And I've shared that on my channel before, too. And it is something that some of us have some sort of space, like if it's a patio or a balcony or some sort, something like that. But some people really just don't. 
And if you don't have that space, it's really easy to reach out in your neighborhood, even put up a flyer that just says, hey, I'm looking for some space to garden or searching out possibly a community garden you might have in your community where you can go out and grow in your own space as well. But I've found generally, as I've talked to people, that a lot of people have done similar things, grown in friends' spaces. I even grow some food and garden over at a friend's place now too, where we opened up his front yard with these big giant plots and everything. So front yard. In his front yard, even. Front yard. That was the cool thing about it. It's a big corner lot too. Traffic's come in both directions. They see what we're doing. And similar to some of the things I do when I'm working on the alleyway, we'll get people, passers-by who come by and ask a bunch of different questions about what we're doing and what we're growing. And and it's cool too to see people who are just kind of light up when they see what is being done with a garden space and what you're growing. Yeah. It's... A, a few years ago, a friend of mine said, Greg, <laughs> you're using your front yard as bait, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Lure them in so you can get them somebody to talk to about all of your garden stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm so, perfectly willing all the time, too. I got so many oh, things yeah. growing, so many different questions. And it's great, too, when like some of the neighbors bring their kids by and they want to check things out and all of I... that, too. That's one of the cool things about putting your gardens so out front there in order for everybody to see, create that community connection. So there's one thing I want to talk about before we jump into containers, okay. and that's sun exposure. Yeah. If you have a patio in the Northern Hemisphere that faces north, Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to get a whole lot of sun. So it might be a harder place to grow. Yeah, definitely. Just depending on time of year, on whether or not the sun's high enough to be able to get over the ridge of whatever is going to be creating shade on your space in that direction. And you want to be definitely certain of knowing where the sun is going to be traveling because a lot of plants just want to have light. I don't know what it is, but (laughs) (laughs) they just want to have a lot of light and depending on the ridge and where the angle of the light is and how much shade you're getting, there's some ways like I've elevated things up in order to ensure that they get Mm. more light for more time and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. So there are some strategies, but sometimes you're just limited to some more shade loving plants that aren't going to want so much light, but it's, yeah, sunlight's the, I think the first and biggest consideration you got to think about when you're talking about any garden space, but it becomes even more important when you're dealing with small spaces. If you're on a balcony, like I was before too, depending on what direction the building is and you're facing, sometimes you could have shade all the time because the top of the buildings, if it's way up above you, You know, that ridgeline's not going to hardly ever bring sun down in your direction. I call that a northern exposure. And how you determine what your exposure is, Mm -hmm. is stand against the wall and look the direction you're looking. So if you're standing against the wall and you're looking north, that's a northern exposure. If you're standing against the wall and looking east, Mm -hmm. that's an eastern exposure. And I found in Arizona that 
with the extreme heat, eastern exposure and southern exposures were the most efficient ones. When you start growing stuff in your yard, you want to determine what's the exposure. And I found northern exposures are generally problematic. You just yeah. don't get enough sunlight. So yeah. if you have an opportunity and you're moving into a place and you want to grow a garden on a patio, make sure that you have a eastern, southern, or western exposure. And western with the caveat, because western exposures in Arizona are fry zones. They just, it's just way hot. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's where it's the sun's really just spraying on that for a <laughs> right. long time of the day and just hangs on there towards the end too. And we're dealing with two different things here with sunlight. We're dealing with the sunlight and the heat. So we have yep. to take both of those into consideration. It's not just one component, it's two. Yeah. 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 And like you're saying, the best and optimal spaces are going to be ones that are possibly going to start getting some shade towards midday, late day. If that's all that early day, you know, given some of your plants, I have my, in my back patio, I get good six to eight hours of sunlight for most nice. part. And so that's really giving me a lot of good sun, but then also creating some shade too. And all of my plants seem to really love that and they thrive in that sort of situation. And that's because I've got walls in both directions. It's coming in kind of light. And then all of a sudden they get the main day and then it starts to shade out as it gets towards the late nice. day. Yeah, it's the perfect situation when it comes to what I get to grow in. But again, it's a real big consideration for anybody else who's considering doing something with their patios or side yards walk when, paths and you said something really important six to eight hours a day if you want to grow yeah. vegetables yeah like a fruit a zucchini or strawberry mm. or something like that your plants need to get a good six to eight hours a day of yeah sunlight yeah it's optimal produce. yeah some want maybe a little more some can deal with a little bit less just just depends on the variety of what you're growing but in general if most plants are getting about six to eight hours they're gonna do pretty do pretty good yeah yeah cool and yeah right. and that's again like you said it's this one of the first consideration you're really thinking about in growing most any garden though too whether you got where your shade is and what the location of the most direct sun during the hottest part of the day is and find that nice little <laughs> goldilocks if you're lucky right. and it's perfect yeah. like i seem to have with my back patio then you're real lucky there are ways again too like i said if you need to elevate some things up a little bit i've got trees in my back patio that i keep up higher so that they do get more of the sunlight because of the shading out that happens when they're set down low. And that's just some things you can do as well to gain Barry, just a little bit of more light out of the space that you have. Yeah. Barry wants to know, this is a real apropos question. Can mirrors be used to reflect sunlight into a shaded area? You're just I've reflecting heard... light, but yep. I don't know if, I don't know if necessarily, is it going to be a, too much. Is it going to be too much or not enough even? I don't know. Be a great That's a good question. It would be a great experiment. I have never really thought of doing that, but yeah, I'd imagine it would definitely 
reflect light in a direction that could use light. It just depends mm -hmm. on the intensity that the plant is getting it. I've heard people use tin foil. Yeah. So I, you, tin foil is going to be less expensive. It create than, reflective yeah. barriers around it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Cool. Let's talk about containers. You have yes. some really cool things that you're doing container wise. Yeah, that's again, we're talking small space gardening. If you're lucky, you might have a little bit of in-ground space or you might have mm -hmm. some sort of thing like that. And I always say, hey, build a raised bed, utilize that space, have fun with it, see what you can. But for the most part, most people who are dealing with smaller situations, containers are necessary. Mm -hmm. And and really the one of the big key is getting container gardening down and you can pretty much grow anywhere. There are all sorts of containers too, and all sorts that I actually use myself. I've uh, grown potatoes in big storage bins and utilize that sort of container. There's the half oak barrel things that you can oh, do. Yeah. And I'm just thinking right now in bigger sizes because I, I like a bigger container when it comes to growing a lot of things that grow during the summertime. I'm getting ready to try something that I've never tried before. Yeah. Because growing this way in Phoenix was never an option, but I'm in Asheville now. I am, I've got some welded wire fencing. Yeah. That's metal fencing. And I got a two foot tall. I'm going to make about a two and a half foot diameter uh, cylinder out of it, set it right on the ground. Yeah. And I'm going to grow potatoes in it. And the potato plants will grow out the sides and out the top. And then when we harvest them, uh, I'm going to wire it together, just to unwire yeah. it and open it up and they just all fall out. That'll be fun. So <laughs> that'll be fun for sure. So yeah. You have a cool wicking bucket that you. Yeah, yeah, actually, I can show you all right here. Everybody can see, right? Yeah, tonight they can. But so no, we'll have no, to explain oh, this it. Is yeah, we'll have to explain this for the audio version, but real quick, it's just a two bucket set up here where you got one that's used for a water reservoir on the bottom and one that's the actual holds the soil and the plant in the top. And so the bottom's a water reservoir and the top one has this little net pot that hangs out of the bottom of the top one. There are holes for other subsequent roots to be able to reach down and get into the water and all of that. And then there's just basically a PVC tube that goes through the top one into the bottom one. So you can feed the water into the bottom one. There's a couple of drain holes so it doesn't flood. And yeah. 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 And I just, I really believe these things are really amazing not just simple type of system. It takes a little effort to put them together, but they're very inexpensive. You can get these buckets, get most of your five gallon size buckets from restaurants, bakeries, go to some of your grocery stores that have bakeries. And I'm sure some of these businesses that you can find locally go through enough of them, they'd set some aside for you and you can really acquire a bunch of them over a short period of time. These, these are just food grade plastic buckets. And I actually collected food waste from a restaurant in Phoenix for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I was getting 10 buckets a week for free filled with yeah. food waste which I was then composting. But there's something really particular about these buckets. They're not cylindrical. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, yeah. You can grow out of most of your shape. These ones just happen to be a square shape. And there's some buckets that you can get at some of the bigger box stores that are like squares and versus being the... What's significant the about the squareness of it? Uh, not much. This is the fact that's what I got. That's what well, they fit together better. Yeah. Line them up and then you're not wasting any space that way. Oh, we'll see. There you go. That's something. Oh I my God. Really here think I, about. Here you're, I you're showing that was... me, you're teaching me <laughs> something real quick. That's awesome, Greg. Absolutely. Yeah. That totally makes sense is that you're able to really put them together and get them really close together. Exactly. That, if we're see? talking small space, I thought that was just an automatic for you. When you showed me the square one, yeah. it was like, yeah, of course. It just happened to be the one that I had to show you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, let's I've got round people, ones too. Tell people what a wicking bucket does. How does it work? It just utilizes the idea of a sponge soaking up water in a sense. It's, it utilizes the soil as a way for the water to wick bring that water up into the root system. And basically the roots and the plant are basically drinking water from the bottom and pulling it up. And then the soil and all of the, the compounds of that are helping do that and bringing it up. But it runs on the whole idea that I read a lot about that it was always better to water your plants from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. So if you have a way to use trays and those sort of things in order to just allow the soil to bring the water up into the plant. And, and basically the plant takes pretty much as it needs at that point, you know, as it's drinking it up, the plant's soaking up more. And that's helpful with the water reservoir. And then that way you just keep it, you just keep it filled and it only fills up about three inches. Yep. Just about three inches. When I find that on hot days, that can get me a day or two without having to really worry about them on a constant basis. Most containers, especially five gallon sizes, even, even up to 10 gallon sizes are going to really dry out really fast during a hot day. And I'm sure right. you're familiar with that in Phoenix and <laughs> yeah. in those areas as well. It takes a little bit of the weight of keeping a, a water, depending on what you have for a water watering situation and what you're capable of doing. With most containers, I would still also, if you're not even using a wicking type of system, you're going to need to be watering. So I would recommend at that point, maybe even getting a, like a little drip system, a little water timer or something like that, that you can mm -hmm. hook up and just make sure that your plants are just not drying out is the biggest thing. Two keys. What are they? Uh, the two keys of small space gardening for me are always as, as what we're already talking about containers yep. and vertical growing. That's containers help you with whatever type of space that you have, fill in your space with what you need, but the trellising then also helps you take and take your garden and going up. And there's a lot of different types of plants and things that you can grow, peas, beans, cucumbers, I've grown melons and squash up some of my, my yep. trellises. Uh, so lots of different things to grow that you can grow that either vine, especially even tomato plants, indeterminates that just keep growing. You can utilize trellises to train them up a bit. Yeah. So utilizing containers and vertical space are really the keys to most any small space. Nice. And Another really important piece of this is soil. I oh, am a oh, yeah, huge, absolutely. 
believer that you get what you pay for when it comes to soil. What do you do for soil? The most part, I've acquired some compost from a local facility that I have that I get a little bit of compost from. I'll take that and uh, utilize a cocoa coir, the big bricks, and I make my own soil mixture out of that. You could, And I have, and you could use some sort of level of bag soils and that sort of stuff. It just all depends on what you're really able to acquire. But I always supplement any of that sort of stuff with like more cocoa coir. If it doesn't have enough perlite, I want to make sure that I got plenty of that too, because I want my containers to have a really well-draining soil. I want the cocoa coir, and I even add, again, vermiculite too, to help get some sort of water retention, because we, we do want our soil to stay moist. We just don't want it to hold on to excess water, and having a well-draining soil is really important as well too. And then my other amendments, I keep it simple. I like to get the most value out of my out of what I'm doing in my gardening. So I just get a nice inexpensive dry organic fertilizer and I'll use worm castings and supplement with compost. And that's how I just keep building on the soil that I have in my different containers. And we also grow out of some elevated raised beds too, which are basically containers as well. When you have a unique way of doing no-till in these pots. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And that's no dig, no till, that sort of thing. Those methods are really familiar to, to in-ground growing. But I apply that sort of methodology with container gardening in my small spaces, my elevated raised beds, my different five-gallon buckets that I have around the garden. And what I do is I just instead of replacing the soil every year, which I used to do all the time, I have, and I have a ton of containers, Greg. <laughs> and I would literally go through and I would dump them out. I would remix, I'd add amendments and then replace them every year. And what I found was that my plants weren't really thriving when I was doing that. So I just, just I don't know what made me think about it, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave the soil in throughout the, winter time and then what i did too is i'll cut a lot of the plants just at the base especially like the pepper plants and the tomatoes or those sort of things that i'm growing i just cut them at the base left them over winter time so that the root systems could just compost and break down in the soil and then it just allowed me to lift that top of those plants right off at the beginning of the next season and then all i do at that point is just add more compost and some fertilizer and worm castings and those sort of things mix it in just a little bit on the top start all over again and i found that what i was doing is the same sort of thing that you're doing when you're growing in the ground i was building some soil biology there was activity and life that was developing inside of that soil and i wasn't disrupting and, and just breaking it up every year and now i'm just letting it go and then the plants and the root systems started to thrive even more nice yeah, yeah. And again, too, the bet and another thing too is a, a and all the time thinking, I don't ever let the pots, even if I'm not growing in them, I don't let them dry out. I learned to never let that happen. You don't want to dry out all of that biology. It's not just the plants that are growing inside of that container when you think about it. Exactly. So we've got some questions. Some are for you, some are for me. Awesome. Um, Donald wants to know, does this include three foot by eight foot raised beds? 
the small uh, space gardening idea for just regular raised beds yeah yeah absolutely as I was, I was mentioning before too is if you're lucky enough and that's what you got is some in-ground space and you have that opportunity to be able to do it yeah even a single little raised bed there's nothing better than growing in the ground and plants thrive a lot with that real i don't know i don't know if you call it real but you know that real soil biology going on in in-ground growing is best and optimal for most plants but if you have that opportunity i say go for it if i had the space i'd be building raised beds all over the place <laughs> yep Jillian says for Phoenix, raised beds are in ground for small spaces. If in Phoenix you can go in ground, it's better because that way you're only dealing with heat on one surface. On raised yeah. beds, you got heat on four sides and the top. But if yeah. that's all you get, that's all you can get is a raised bed in the space, go for it. Yeah. And with my small spaces, I'm using elevated raised beds, similar kind of what you're talking about. It's, they got, they're on legs. They're, they're on a cement patio. And that's a big thing you got to think about. They're just basically a container like anything else. All the other things with container gardening apply to those as well. Let's see. Alicia says, great to hear that you're using worm castings. You raise your own worms. I did a while back ago for a short period of time, but that's one of the things I'm working on this year for my channel is to do some videos and start back up my whole worm farming and worm the, system. And the, I'm so dang excited about this. We did a class last week from Urban Worm Company. Yeah. On his Urban Worm Bag. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing, I have been composting for over 40 years. Yeah. I've been worm composting for over 20 years. And this, his worm bag, it's a funnel. You put stuff in the top, put some, start with cocoa peat and then put some food scraps. And I've been using shredded up cardboard. And then I add food and the worms work their way up. And then occasionally two or three or four times a year, you open the funnel at the bottom, knock out the worm castings, and you just keep adding stuff from the top. It is oh, amazing. Wow. Urban worm bag. I have to look into called. that for sure. Yeah. yeah. You should check it out and then get them on your show. Steve was a riot to have. <laughs> that would be great. great. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Let's see here. Jewel says, are there certain veggies that would grow under a patio that gets indirect light most of the day? When it comes to shade or shade, shady type things you can grow i just find maybe greens do somewhat okay when it comes to low light but i not very much have i found that i get successful besides as far as the things that i grow most things just again what we were talking about earlier is they want a certain amount of direct sunlight throughout a day yeah and if you're just not getting that then it's going to be difficult to grow most things but in my I understanding i've done pretty well with greens yeah. i found that leafy yeah. greens and herbs okay yeah and lower light i would definitely agree because yeah i that was another space i used on my side of my house was to do a little herb garden in the shade kind of because it was a shadier type of spot nice yeah. and yeah they all thrive i just dropped the link for urban worm company on the webinar chat, it's urbanwormcompany.com forward slash urban farm. 
for 10% okay. off if you guys, if you're so yeah. inspired. This is, I guess this question's for me. I live in Tucson and have an Eastern exposure. Awesome. Would you suggest starting a garden, especially with leafy greens now as we go into summer or should I wait until fall? So here's the thing yeah. about leafy greens. Yeah. They will bolt immediately. Your brassicas, cabbages, cauliflowers, that kind of stuff. And the kind of heat that we're getting in Phoenix, they're going to go to seed just like that. That's what bolt yeah. means, going to seed. For those of you in the low desert, go get my free planting calendar at plantingcalendar.org. It's only good for the low desert, but that'll help you out. Person yeah. from Tucson, that'll help you out a lot. Yeah, greens just want it cool, man. What about, and this would be a good question for you. What about pine needles for mulch? Pine needles for mulch? I've got a tree that drops some pine needles all over stuff and I use it right along with the leaves and stuff when I rake those up and everything. And those make a really good mulch that I use throughout my alleyway. Nice. Yeah. Doug says, I have blackberry plants. They're in their third year and we have nice fruit this year. The primo canes are growing very high, seven feet high now and still growing. Should I cut them back at all this time of year or should I, should I let them grow? What, where are they at? He didn't say. Oh, yeah. To us here where I live, blackberries are invasive. We're always cutting them back. There's just so many of them and they grow and they can get big like the like they're mentioning. You let them grow, then they're going to produce blackberries. If you want to harvest blackberries off of them, if you don't get those type of plants growing in your area, it's just a question of whether or not what you want to do with that space. But yeah, for us, we don't, we try to cut those back. In fact, I've been trying to fight one off in my <laughs> alleyway space that's coming nice. out of my neighbors, but I have to work with my neighbor because they're, it's growing into their yard as well too. Yeah. make sure we're both doing what we can. Cause once they get those roots in, they just right. keep coming and keep coming. What I teach in my fruit tree programs is urban orcharding and in urban orcharding, we want to keep the plants smallish. Yeah. So that you can pick them standing on the ground. And what I generally tell people to do, once you get your fruit off of them, you can, that's, you can start pruning them. And this would be the same for berries, mulberries, blackberries, and any, really any fruit trees. If you just keep them six to eight feet tall yeah. and you can do that by what is called summer pruning. So that summer pruning helps a lot with that. Alicia says, any thoughts on gauging the level of moisture in the containers, how do you manage not getting too much water as opposed to not getting enough water? Yeah, for me, I like my soil to be like a sponge. And that's what I'm looking for is that, that it feels in my containers, especially that when I push down on the top of that soil, it feels like a sponge. And I do that by, you know, utilizing kind of equal parts whatever compost I'm using, plus a, a cocoa coir, or some might use a peat moss or something like that. And then again, vermiculite, something I use as well too, to keep moisture retention. And then too, I use plenty of perlite as well too, in most of my containers, because I want whatever excess is going to drain off, but utilizing those other parts are helping hold whatever 
moisture that it needs. So that's what I'm just looking for. If it's feeling any drier than what a sponge is when I'm touching it, then I know I need a water. And if it's feeling like a sponge, then I know it's all good for that. For, for Got it. Do you ever use point. a moisture meter? I have and do maybe for some of my plants that are in bigger pots because I want to really understand what's going on, on on the deep inside of them. But for most of my regular ones, like the five gallon and all of that, I just run with what I know by touch. Yeah. All right. Perfect. We have bunnies. Recommendations for how to protect your garden. I haven't had to deal with that in my own gardens and that I've ever dealt with. But just a quick little story. When I was in my mid-teens, I took a summer job working for this lady in Alaska who had herself a small little farmstead. And she let loose a couple of bunnies a couple of years before I started working there. And by the time I was there working, they were running everywhere. And the Oops. only thing, yeah, yeah. And the only and she did for her garden beds, I remember, was had to like really put like this fencing really. Yep like wire fencing and dig it down deep around her small little garden that she had in order to keep them out. But it didn't even work hardly at that point. They find their way. <laughs> They'll get down and under and everywhere. The thing I do love about rabbits though, too, you want to talk about a great amendment to any sort of soil or soil yep. you're building. Rabbit manure is just awesome. You can just use that stuff straight up. No composting needed. It's going to have to break down in, in order to be available for your plants, but you can just throw that directly right into things. All right. Elizabeth says on the stacked planting buckets, oh. what is the little basket in the bottom of the top bucket, the container for? It's just basically to allow the soil, you pack the soil in from that basket right up into the soil that you're putting into the container it's all just one kind of soil mass at that point and that allows that mass to soak the water up from the bottom bucket the water reservoir bucket and that helps it just drink it's like putting it's like putting a little wick right into the water there right and it's just going to soak it right up into your root ball and allow your plants just to basically drink the water as they want it so what she's talking about, for those of you that are listening on the podcast, what she's talking yeah. about on the top five gallon bucket, there's a hole drilled in the bottom of it. This yep, is where you're a, growing your plants at. And a three it's inch a, hole. Yep. A three inch hole. And it's a little basket that looks like a strawberry basket that drops, what, th two or three inches yep. underneath the top bucket into the water of the bottom bucket. Yeah. Yep. And that just allows, again, for the soil to soak it right up into the plant. I really dig those containers. They've done so well in my garden. One of the things I tell people, and I've done a few videos on them and talked about them, but I always challenge people is go to your garden center and try to find a container that's about five gallons of soil capacity and uh -huh. see if you can find one for about a dollar or less. And yeah, so you got a bucket that basically helps work for you. All you got to do is make sure it's got enough water in that reservoir and it's helped working for you to water your plants, make sure the watering's consistent and it takes just a little bit of effort and you can put it all together for about a dollar or less. You know what I did at the urban farm is I used 
galvanized steel trash cans. Yeah. So they're 33 gallons in size. If you were to buy a 33 gallon size pot, you're talking about spending two, three, four hundred dollars. Yep. And the trash cans were yeah. 22 bucks each or 24 <laughs> bucks each, something like that. I like right? to get the most value out of my garden space. It's one of the, probably some of the biggest pet peeves I have when it comes to the gardening industry is how expensive it can yep. be. And that expense could be deterring to people who want to get started and grow things. And that's what I utilize in my garden is simple, inexpensive methods of doing all of the things that I do to maximize my ability to grow food in just this small space. Try to do it as inexpensively as possible. Mary Lynn says, if you have many plants and pots close together, the heat and sun is not a problem. That it depends is the yeah. answer to that one. It depends if you're surrounded by concrete and a block wall, that could be problematic. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on what you're making shade for. Yeah. But I, I do like my plants in close together, as close as I can get them. Some of them are going to have a, a little larger expanse and go out a little bit more. So I have to make room for them and not have them too jammed into each other. But I, I believe that you should be growing them as close together. You just want to make sure that they can all get the appropriate amount of sunlight they need. Sunlight. You yeah. don't want to be shading some things out. Jillian says some libraries have seed libraries. And you can get seeds for free. Yes, absolutely. Check out, type in the name of your town and see if you have a seed library there. Alicia yeah. says, any thoughts about aeroponics or for indoor herb gardening? Aeroponics and hydroponics and those sort of things are something I just have not been able to dabble into too much myself. I've got a few friends who that's what they do primarily and I see some pretty really cool yeah. successes. In fact, Nathan, I believe, was on Lil Nathan was oh, on yes. the show that nine uh, years old. Were, yeah, was on the show that you were with me on our Let's Get Growing show. And that's pretty much what they do too, is a lot of those kind of hydroponic aeroponic gardens. And I see a lot yeah. of people growing some pretty cool stuff. So uh, yeah, I would definitely say it's a good idea. Something I just haven't had a chance to try yet. I do so many things. Pans are in a lot of different pots. So I'm trying to figure out how to work that into some of the things that I've been doing just to try it out, just to get some experience doing that. About 10 years ago, I bought a tower garden, a juice plus mm. tower garden. And we haven't yeah. fired it up here since we got here yet, just because I don't, I haven't had the mind space to do it. But when we yeah. were in Phoenix, every yeah. summer, this is for the guy in Tucson, we grew greens, salad greens yeah. in the summertime inside with lights on the tower garden. That's an aeroponic. Yeah. That works great. Yeah. That's the way to do it when you're can change the get a cooler climate indoors for those greens versus how hot it is in some of those areas you can get yourself greens throughout the year hey any last thoughts i think one of the things that we just we didn't really touch on too much was the importance of growing vertically if you're going to be growing in small spaces to take those opportunities to grow up and that's another real big key and one of those measures we use throughout our garden space 
in order to make sure that we're getting the most out of it. There's a lot of different varieties of things that vine or can grow through trellising and really recommend that we, we utilize some tower trellises. We build out of wood, again, trying to keep with the utilizing inexpensive methods to grow the things we're growing. I've got a couple of uh, cattle panel walls that we have in our alleyway that we use for some trellising and to grow vertically with some of our cucumbers and beans and peas and all sorts of stuff like that too, that you can grow vertically. So recommend if you're utilizing a small space to not just think about those things that you can do with the space as far as containers, but also what you can do to grow up as well. Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on our urban farming garden chat. That's great. Love it. This is awesome. And thank you all for joining us. I did drop the urbanwormcompany.com forward slash urban farm link into the chat box. And so if you want to visit there, they've got some great information. How do we get a hold of you and what's your website? You can find me if you just go to YouTube, just type in at the Urban Gardener in the search bar there. You'll find the Urban Gardener channel where you can find our Let's Get Growing Live show plus weekly garden journals and other tutorial videos and all sorts of different things that we got going on in the Urban Gardener channel. And then again, too, you could also go to letsgetgrowing.live and get you also to our show as well. And also get you to some links to be able to follow with me on other social media like Instagram and Facebook. And we have a really cool Facebook gardening group, a little gardening community, the Let's Get Growing group as well, too. Yeah, come check it out. Come join our group. And we'd love to have you. We'd love to talk gardening. Awesome. Thank you. Donna says, beautiful office with happy plants. Yes. Yes, they are real plants, right? They're all real plants. Yep. Mine with my picture behind me is my front yard. So they were real plants, but it is a picture. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Enoch. And so thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's 
denaliecanning.com forward slash free.